The following is a recording for Peter Sector with the Atlantic Council of the U.S. on Wednesday, March 9, 2016 at 1 p.m. Central Time. Excuse me, everyone. We now have all of our speakers in conference. Please be aware that each of your lines is in a listen-only mode. At the conclusion of today's presentation, we will open the floor for questions. At that time, instructions will be given as to the procedure to follow if you would like to ask a question. I would now like to turn the conference to Andrea Murda. Ms. Murda, you may begin. Wonderful. Thank you. Welcome, everyone. Uh, apologies for the slight delay that we had. It's a very busy day in Brazil, uh, as has been the case for the past week. Uh, but we are very happy to have you join us today on this very special conference call. So my name is Andrea Murta, and I am an Associate Director of the Adrian Arch Latin America Center here at the Atlantic Council. Um, the briefing today is very, very timely, not only because of the seriousness of the situation in Brazil, but also because this call is going to mark the launch of our Brazil chat series. Um, in this series, we are going to bring you uh, high-level voices directly from Brazil that will give us real-time analysis of breaking political and economic issues that affect the country. And we have a number of other calls planned for 2016, so stay tuned with us. Well, as we all know, Brazil is in a perfect storm right now. We have a political crisis, we have an economic crisis, a crisis of confidence. It's basically as systemic as crisis can get. And we have a growing uncertainty about the future of the country. Meanwhile, policymakers in Brasilia basically seem paralyzed. When we thought things couldn't really get any worse, well, that's when last week happened. And you all know what I mean by last week, right? Uh, one Friday, former Brazilian president, Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva, was taken by the police for questioning about his alleged involvement in the car wash operation. And why is this so important? Well, Lula is not like any other suspect of this investigation. He is the largest political figure of Brazil today, and he still holds a very strong mobilizing power in Brazilian society. In just a matter of hours, in fact, uh, Lula's temporary detention has already provoked very strong reactions from different sectors in Brazil. So to analyze these reactions and to look to the best ahead, we are very fortunate to have with us today three of the best analysts in Brazil. The first is my friend Pedro Dias Leite, the politics director of Desert Magazine, Brazil's top publication. Pedro has over 20 years of experience as a political reporter and editor in Brazil, and he spent most of his career at Folha de São Paulo newspaper and at Veja. We also have Gabriel Coleman, director of Prospectiva Consultancy. Gabriel has a master's in international economy from the University of Applied Sciences in Berlin, and he's currently the head of infrastructure, energy, mining, oil and gas, and defense at Prospectiva. A lot of departments there, Gabriel. And yeah. finally, we have, <laughs> we have Fernando Melo. Uh, Fernando is a political scientist, a partner at Jota Consultancy, and an award-winning Brazilian journalist. At Jota, Fernando currently leads analysis on judicial and political issues, and he surveys the positions of the Brazilian Congress on the most pressing issues that affect the country. Okay, so I have asked each of our speakers today to talk initially for no more than five minutes, and I have warned them that I am going to be a very American moderator, and I'm going to interrupt if they run over. Um, after that, I will direct some questions to our speakers, and then I'll open the line to questions from those attending. So let me turn over to Pedro now, uh, with a small caveat. Uh, Pedro's views here are his own, and he's not speaking on behalf of Asia. But Pedro, tell us, how has Lula's detention affected the political arena in Brazil? 
Hi, Andrea. Hi, everyone. Well, uh, I think it's important to mention, as you said, that uh, Lula is the most important political figure in Brazil. But we should say also that he's not the one in power right now. It's Dilma. And so she's the one who we should focus more, I think. Regarding Lula, the thing is, uh, yes, he has this great mobilizing power, but he has also many, many important questions to answer, which have not been answered yet, as yet, as we speak. Uh, the people in Brazil think that the move from Lava Jato, or car wash, as you say in English, uh, was a bold one, but maybe an unfortunate one. Why? Because Lula had been pressed for the last three months to explain all the accusations against him. Just to recap, uh, it's been accusation that he has received a $1 million, $1 million sorry, which nowadays is like 200, 250,000 maybe dollars, I, just, I can't recover it now, uh, in his uh, farm uh, close to Sao Paulo. Another $1 million for another reform in an apartment in the beach near Sao Paulo called Guarujá. Uh, all this paid by enterprises who have been directly linked to Lava Jato, the biggest construction firms in Brazil, like Odebrecht, uh, Camargo Correa, Queiroz Gavão, and so on. Uh, right. He hasn't been able to answer this question, and he is not able because probably he has no viable answer to give instead that he received favors from these companies. Well, uh, the move from Lava Jato last Friday, it gives Lula a political leverage, yes. Uh, people went to the streets to defend him. There is a great concern here in Brazil about this Sunday's uh, protest which had been scheduled for nearly a month already for the opposition, and now we have uh, people who support him telling that they are going to the streets as well, and probably there is a great, uh, probably a high degree of uh, uncertainty regarding confrontation between these two groups. But in my analysis, I think this is not a long-lived thing, because since Lula can't give a consistent explanations for the answers people have been asking him for the past few months. This tends to uh, slow down, I think. People tend not to go to the streets to defend Lula all the way until maybe like for the next three or six months. Probably, yes, people go to the streets. But after this period, uh, he will not have as many support, as much support as you think he will. Uh, and then the pressure is going to turn up again against the government. So yes, it gave uh, probably a few months for Lula to breathe uh, this movement from Lava Jato, which most people in Brazil think they shouldn't have done without uh, robust or sound proofs. Uh, but they have done it. So yes, he has a political advantage right now. He went back from the courts, like you see in boxing. Uh, he, was, he hasn't spoken anything in the past three months. And then after that, he spoke for hours and hours in three different events. Today he went to Brasilia to meet uh, with the President of the Senate to defend the Constitution and all this stuff. Yes, he says he's going to run the country. But no, I don't think this is going to be a long-lived effort. I think uh, after a few months this is going to really ring down and uh, the investigation will go back against the government as well, which is a really, really bad situation. Uh, mm -hmm. I haven't measured how long I spoke, but uh, I'll stop here and then leave the rest for the Q&A. That's a, a great, uh, a great time to uh, to stop, and we'll listen uh, more from you soon, Pedro. Um, but Gabriel, let me turn to you now. What impact uh, have you seen so far in the economy? 
Okay, good afternoon everyone. Thank you, Andrea, and to the Atlantic Council for this special invitation. Uh, well, first of all, it's very important to point a difference between financial markets and the real economy. Uh, despite the euphoria from the financial markets, which by nature respond to any short-term event, economic agents tend to increase the apprehension and anxiety, since it's very well known that any final, final development of this political crisis will not happen in the very near future. It will take several months long yet, likely to go to 2018. Thus, they tend to take decision investment and merger and acquisition, for example, before the crisis has an end, which means a great source of uncertainty and risk, which will have an effect over expected yields and prices. From the government side, Minister Barbosa is trying to implement an economic policy much more similar on what happened on Lula's first term than on Dilma's one, which means a conservative macroeconomic approach, uh, for example, tight fiscal policy, high interest rates and free exchange rates, combined with a progressive microeconomic approach uh, using a lot of BNDS and other state-owned banks, uh, industrial and export policies, for example. However, there are financial limits for this microeconomic agenda imposed by the deficit on public accounts and the difficult government will face to pass economic measures on Congress. Uh, talking about the effect over selected industries, then we have to divide in two major groups. Uh, those industries related to public policies, for example, infrastructure, oil and gas, energy. Uh, for these industries, we're going to see a deterioration of, expecta uh, of expectations and continuing deadlock. These industries need a sort of political arrangement for the recovery, which is not expected on the, on the, near, on the very near future. However, a stabilization and consolidation of the crisis, not the end, but the balance, could create some conditions for an initial tentative of recovery and business for, for some of the industries. For example, M&A are expected to wait a, a little more stable regulatory scenario. Uh, and for those industries related to consumer services and export, and export sectors, which are less affected by the political crisis uh, related to consumer, for example, the economic crisis is the main force over the dynamic of the industries, not the political crisis. There is, of course, a sort of mutual feeding between the economic and political crisis. Uh, in relation to the export sector, a, gradu a gradual increase is already happening. Of course, there are different flows for distinct sectors, but it's more related to the international context than to internal political events. So I'll stop here. Those were the main aspects uh, I would like to discuss with you, and thank you again. Wonderful. Thank you, Gabriel, for this explanation. Now I'm going to turn to Fernando. Uh, Fernando, how is this crisis different from others we've seen in Brazil, and what can you tell us about the reactions in Congress? Okay, thank you for, for the invitation and for the presence, the virtual presence. Uh, Latin America has faced many political crises, and I believe we need to discuss why this one is different or similar. Uh, a set of regressions using panel data that I made with the world governance indicators uh, shows some similarities. First, a low perception or declined perception of accountability, meaning that the population and key actors believe that the president was not held accountable uh, as she, he or she should be for some acts. Secondly, a low or declined perception of rule of law. In 1992, during Collor's case, 
There was a corruption scandal and a spread sensation of weak rule of law. At the same time, there was a spread sensation that the president was unaccountable and should be accountable for his acts. In 2005, the situation was a little bit different. Although a corruption scandal emerged, the Mansalon, there was a feeling of accountability. The most powerful minister was fired in two months into the, the scandal. In fact, at the summit of the crisis in August 2005, two-thirds of the Brazilians were against the impeachment of Lula. Six, seven percent of Brazilians believed that the PT had paid Mensalão, but 63 percent believed that the response by the government were good. Now, around 60% of Brazilians are in favor of impeachment of Dilma. People seem to think that she should be accountable for her acts, such as promise, uh, unfulfilled promising campaign or the case involving Petrobras. And I think to explain the difference between 2005 and 2016, we need to look into credible and clear information. There are some recent studies uh, from Brown University and other universities showing that the, especially the poorest sector in Brazil, the population punishes politicians for allegations of corruption when the information is credible and clear. And I think that's the case uh, of Lava Jato. So the question is how this is going to be solved, and I agree with uh, the two previous speakers, and I think there are two options. In the Supreme Electoral Court and the Congress, in the electoral court, the judges think that the case is not going to be judged any soon, uh, not before September or October. By that time, the judge Maria Teresa, who is in charge of the case, she will leave the court and uh, she has already shown some pro-government position. Uh, according to a source that, that with whom we speak this week, the electoral case will uh, likely to bleed Dilma, but not be solved fast. Therefore, I believe the ball is against uh, with the Congress. Uh, here at Jota, we do a monthly survey inside the Congress. Every month, we interview more than 200 congressmen and women, statistically considering uh, the parties and the states, uh, and so it's a low margin of error. The current survey was conducted 10 days ago, and therefore before Lula's case. It shows that inside the Congress, the congressman itself puts the probability of impeachment around 45%. And again, this was before Lula's case. It was very interesting to note that the small parties, the parties, those parties that are basically for rent in the Congress, uh, they are exactly in the middle uh, with the probability of going one way or another. On the other hand, the survey shows no support for government emergency measures such as the CPMF or Nelson Barbosa. In fact, only 50% of the Congress is optimistic with the new finance minister. Uh, finally, there are some sort of consolidation to promote reforms, such as pension reform and labor reform, but not under Dilma. Uh, that's the view inside the, the Congress. We are actually conducting another round of survey next week in April, May, and June, and this will serve as an important thermometer of the crisis. Uh, I think it's important to, to conclude, looking into the Congress, that today there is a small article at your global saying that the PMDB, uh, the, the main supporter, the, the, the party of the vice president, in the Senate, where the support of Dilma was coming, uh, uh, believes that the impeachment will happen before July. 
of course, we have to see, but these are signals that we have to look into. On Saturday, PMDB organized its internal elections, and this will be an important signal to, to, for us to follow the, uh, the next steps into the political crisis. Uh, here in Brasilia, we've been waking up at 5 o'clock every day, waiting for federal police, uh, but now I believe that we have to look into the Congress again. Uh, I believe that's, that's what I have to say right now. Wonderful. Well, I, I hope we come back, Fernando, and uh, we can hear more about your surveys uh, going forward in, in different calls. But, well, I have a ton of questions to ask. I'll ask very few of the ones that I have because I want people to participate. But my first question goes back to Pedro. Pedro, um, in the U.S. and abroad, uh, the car wash operation, it really became a symbol of the strength of Brazilian institutions, of the independence of the police and the judiciary. But the actions of last week uh, led certain sectors inside of Brazil to question the impartiality of the investigation. Do you think that the investigation has become politicized? Uh, Andrea, this is a critique that has been made a lot of times, especially by the targets of this uh, <laughs> operation. Uh, I do think they have a purpose here, and this purpose is to go after, as they say, of the leaders of this organization, which right now seems to be Lula and Dilma. Uh, but I do not think they're going to make any formal mistakes which could lead to the annulation of this operation like happened before. We must remember that there have been some operations in the previous years which target the main uh, construction enterprises like Camargo Correa in 2009, and all these operations were later annulled in the superior courts. Uh, this time, the judge, Moro, and the prosecutors uh, in Curitiba, they all have, including, including they have studied these previous cases, not to lead, not to, lead to do any annulations. So, yes, I think it was a, we could say it was a minor error, this uh, conduction of Lula last week. They also made a, a kind of a funny mistake when they called a man who makes a, uh, repairs in car seats and they thought he was like the director of some company and the guy was like a simple guy who had never been to call to justice before. This is kind of, it shows like they are really after everyone. <laughs> but uh, no, I don't believe in uh, hype of what they see as a big uh, corruption operation, corruption scandal. Uh, we must not forget that Judge Moro is a great fan of of Operation Clean Hands in Italy in the early 90s. He also wrote an essay about it, I think like 10 years ago, and he speaks of the interaction between the judiciary, the popular opinion, uh, and the press. So he thinks it's important to mobilize these three strengths to get to an effective result. So we could be called this politicization, yes, maybe, but uh, I think they're going to keep the decisions technical. Okay. Thank you. That sounds uh, uh, very sensible. Uh, Gabriel, let me ask you now. We know that the Bra Brazilian uh, GDP shrank, what, 3.8% last year, and we think that's going to shrink uh, above 3% again uh, this year uh, before going back to uh, maybe some uh, minor growth in 2017. I don't know if you think that these recent events altered these projections at all or if you think that they're still uh, credible at this point. Yeah, yeah, that's a, a good question. In fact, 
We are expecting a decline of around 3.5% of the GDP this year, so uh, a little worse than uh, your 3%. Uh, however, we are already seeing that uh, the refund of the fall is decreasing, which means that the, the economy may face may facing uh, the worst of the crisis right now. Uh, so under the circumstances, uh, in the next three months, we're going to realize the data uh, not as bad as we are seeing right now. Thus, uh, it is possible to talk about an initial of recovery for the end of this year. So maybe 2017, uh, we already have a little bit of growth. Well, finally, some good news, Gabriel. Thank you for that. Um, yeah. Now... <laughs> I have a question for Fernando before I turn to the audience. Um, Fernando, if Congress does vote to impeach can we expect, uh, what can we expect in the aftermath uh, of this in terms of political stability or, or instability? Uh, well, I believe we have to look into Temer's situation also. Uh, he's also investigating the uh, electoral court, so we, we don't know what's going to happen there. But what this survey, uh, these results of this survey showed us uh, and what we believe is that the Congress is kind of ready and waiting to, to vote some reforms and some, uh, some measures in, in, in uh, terms of fiscal reforms and also pension reforms, uh, union reforms, uh, and there, there are kind of, an, uh, 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 they are showing that it's possible to make some important structural change in the Congress. But at the same time, uh, the, the, uh, what the Congress thinks about Dilma is really, really low. So uh, the survey shows the importance of fiscal reform, also uh, bureaucracy, less bureaucracy, but the evaluation of Dilma is very, very low. So uh, I believe that the Congress may uh, vote something in this aftermath. Uh, we, we have to wait and to see this, uh, uh, this thermometer uh, in a monthly basis, but this is what these first results point at. Okay. Well, I have uh, many other questions, but I want to give everyone an opportunity to, to tune in as well. So if you have a question, um, please um, try to queue up. We're going to give some instructions uh, to take questions from the audience. Yes, ma'am. At this time, we will open the floor for questions. If you would like to ask a question, please press the star key followed by the one key on your touchtone phone now. Questions will be taken in the order in which they are received. If at any time you would like to remove yourself from the questioning queue, just press star 2. Again, to ask a question, please press star 1. We're currently holding for questions. Um, while we wait for the questions, let me go back to Fernando and ask him, uh, what do you think uh, Congress and the rest of uh, Brazil think of uh, Vice President Michel Temer? In case the Congress does impeach Dilma, he would be the one uh, to take over for at least temporarily, right? Uh, yeah, well, depends on how it happens. In case of impeachment, yeah. Uh, or at this time, uh, I, I don't know if Pedro... Uh, can correct me. Depends on if it, it is uh, before two years or. or uh, oh no, that's in the case if she is taken by the courts, right? Uh, then yes, we have again. Uh, not. To, I didn't want to interrupt Fernando, but I already did. Uh, we have a decision by the justice. It has to be. Well, it has to be. If it is in two years into her term, uh, we'll have 
new elections because both yeah. uh, Dilma and Temer will be out. If it happens after the third year or third and fourth year, we have indirect elections conducted by the Congress. And this is going to be a mess because no one knows even who is going to be the candidate, who is able to be a candidate, and who uh, and who they will elect because it opens a huge margin for adventurers maybe. Uh, just uh, to point out one thing in Fernando's very interesting point about the Congress, we must remember that Eduardo Cunha is still the president of the House. This is a huge obstacle for the impeachment right now. I think all the conditions for the impeachment are made, but uh, with Eduardo Cunha leading as the Speaker of the House, uh, it is very difficult for this to go forward yet, but we don't know how long he's going to stay there. Now back to you, Fernando. Sorry for the interruption again. And, and that's a perfect observation because uh, uh, even including source for the government, we're happy that Cunha was in charge of this process because this was kind of a battle between Dilma and Cunha, and Cunha is involved in so many things right now that that uh, this helped the government actually, uh, and we actually don't know how. Uh, it's going to, how uh, how long it's going to take to to uh, remove or if the queen is going to be removed. Uh, he he now has ten days to present his defense, and then the process inside the Congress will take uh, likely nine days, uh, three months, uh, and in the Supreme Court. Uh, Last year, the, the judges talked about that removing the president of the Congress would be really, really difficult. Now, this is starting to change, but it also depends on the, the timing that the Supreme Court will uh, decide and will judge if they remove Queen uh, from, uh, from his chair or not. So it's, it's clearly an institutional uh, situation here between different powers. And, and his, uh, his character is really important at this point because uh, uh, it's playing against impeachment. Pedro is right, I believe. I think we have a question. Yes, our first question comes from Natalie Alhante. Hi, I have a question. Thank you um, so much for all the information on the call today. It was extremely interesting and insightful. Um, my question is on the protests that are scheduled for next week. What, what do we think um, could be the potential outcome of these protests? Will it be something like what we've seen in the past um, with, you know, sort of not really moving the mark, just more rhetoric and, and, and being owned by political movements instead of actual citizens? Or What, what, do, what is the outlook, do you think, uh, for how big the protests are going to be and what they can actually accomplish in this scenario? Pedro, why don't you start with your answer there, and then we can ask for Fernando's opinions as well. Uh, all right. Uh, first of all, regarding the link between the common people, the citizens, and the politicians, uh, they have never been so close as they are right now. Uh, the leaders of the, the civic movement, like or the protesters, are really close to the politicians of this position right now, like Rogério Schecker, the guy from come to the street as Ben Prahua comes to the street, or Kinkataguiri, the guy from Movement uh, Free Brazil. All these guys have been having uh, reunions and meetings with politicians weekly now. They are, in, uh, they are also uh, setting up a committee uh, of pro-impeachment uh, where they will have uh, representatives of those groups, politicians and protesters, uh, to try to get money, to throw money for no 
well, whatever, uh, to get money to organize even more protests. So yes, there is going to be a lot of normal, regular people, but politicians will be really close to this right now. Regarding the size of the manifestations, I don't think we're going to have to a record right now. The, we must remember that the biggest one was in March, I think, with almost 2 million uh, people around the country. Uh, it's more something like April, the next one, which was 1 million, 1 million and a half. So we're not seeing the, the largest protest so far, but it's going to be the largest in a long, long time. It's going to be biggest than the last one we had. And I think it was August or November, I can't recall right now, but it's going to be like top two, uh, number two in the ranking or number three. It's going to make to the podium, that's for sure. Fernando, do you agree with that? Yeah, uh, actually there are some, some data that people are getting in terms of the rate of confirmations in Facebook and these kind of things, and uh, it goes in the direction that Pedro is, is saying. It's going to be big, uh, we, we, uh, probably not as large as the first one in 2013, but uh, it's kind of growing again. Uh, actually, uh, Professor Marcos Mello, who thought at uh, MIT and Yale, he has an interesting point that uh, when the institution seems to be working as the justice, uh, the Ministerio Público, the police, the incentives are lower to go to the streets because people uh, see that things are, are going in this direction. So uh, we'll have to see and, and wait. And another thing, uh, I think we have to pay attention in, in the confrontations. It's already started here. Uh, between gr groups pro-Lula pro -Lula and, and the government and these groups against the government. So I think we have to pay attention in possible confrontations on the streets because this takes to another, another level. Great. Let's send some more questions from the audience. And as a reminder, if you would like to ask a question, please press the star key followed by the one key. Our next question comes from Peter Rashish. Yes, thanks, uh, Andrea, and, and to this, the uh, the uh, guests you invited. I wanted to I'm going to, to refer to um, the fact that a couple of weeks ago the Atlantic Council had the new Argentine uh, Commerce Secretary uh, for an event, and he was quite um, uh, positive about the chances for progress in the negotiation between Mercosur and the European Union. And I wanted to ask whether, given everything that's going on, uh, you think that the uh, Brazilian government has the capacity and, and both the interest and the capacity to, uh, to move forward on that uh, fairly important undertaking and, and, and whether it has any interest in any other kinds of um, international economic engagements, for example, uh, moving forward with uh, cooperation with the Pacific Alliance. Thank you. Fernando, do you want to take that on? Uh, well, uh, actually, talking to some source at Itamaraty in the past few months, uh, it's not actually my expertise, but some source in Itamaraty pointed to a slight change in this direction, uh, uh, working much more uh, uh, with some uh, some trade uh, alliances, and but. I don't know exactly at this point how it's going, but uh, it, from the uh, previous year to this year, there was kind of a change in this direction inside the bureaucracy. Uh, I, I actually don't know how it's going uh, in the upper level, and the, 
the agenda is so taken by by the the, the political crisis and uh, this this kind of discussion that I actually don't know right now. But there, the, in fact, there was this change in the past uh, year or so. Yeah, okay. Uh, of course, there is a tentative of changing uh, of the trade policy in Brazil, um, mainly led by the Minister of Trade, which is Armando Monteiro, and some advanced uh, industrial sectors. Um, however, the base uh, of the Brazilian industrial sector is much traditionalist. When I mean traditionalist, uh, I mean uh, very closed, uh, very uh, uh, defensive. So I don't, I don't see uh, here in perspective, we don't see uh, a radical change um, in the, uh, at the trade policy. Uh, we're going to see some advances on some international negotiations, for example, uh, with the European Union, uh, but, for example, with the United States, uh, it's completely out of the agenda uh, a trade agreement between uh, Mercosur, Brazil, and the, US, and the U.S., for example. And our next question comes from Lisa Vesidi with Inter-American Inter Dialogue. Thank you. Um, I have two questions, um, and, uh, you know, the speakers feel free to um, answer either of them. Um, thank you very much for the presentations. Um, one of my questions is if you could speak any more about what impacts you think the political crisis might have on the oil and gas sector and on Petrobras, um, given that it's at the center of, you know, the, the start of the crisis, um, and there is a lot of change being discussed, uh, new proposal in Congress, if you have any thoughts about you know, what change might happen in the oil and gas sector. And my other question, um, a different topic, is in general, do you think that foreign policy, there's still, are there any areas of priority for foreign policy, given that obviously the focus is really going to be right now on the domestic crisis, but do you think there's still specific areas of foreign policy that are going to be priorities and the government will still be able to move forward with? Thank you. Um, Gabrielle, you want to go ahead? Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about uh, first uh, about uh, Petrobras and the oil and gas sector. Yeah, it's uh, it's very clear that Petrobras uh, has no financial capacity um, to do the investments that the sector uh, needs in Brazil. Uh, so what the, what the, the, the sector is trying to negotiate with the government? Uh, the sector is trying to negotiate a more dynamic uh, 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 activities. Uh, without the Petrobras or, or um, with a less uh, lower participation from Petrobras. Uh, of course, there are political uh, uh, difficulties uh, to discuss uh, that, uh, that because of course, uh, Petrobras has a very nationalist uh, approach in Brazil. But what we're going to uh, expect in the next years uh, is especially in the gas market, not the whole oil and gas sector, but in the gas sector, um, we're going to see a more dynamic activities uh, within private and uh, foreign investors. So if you have to take a look at this uh, sector, we're going to uh, take a look more uh, attention uh, in the gas sector. 
Um, related to foreign policy, I don't know if Pedro and Fernando uh, would have some uh, some comments to do that. To do that. Um, but the President Dilma um, uh, is not very uh, uh, enthusiastic about the foreign policy uh, as she did uh, in the first term. Uh, she still continues to have a lower approach to the foreign policy. Uh, however, a new agenda uh, is put in on table by the Minister of Foreign Relations, the, the Itamaraty, concerning um, environmental issues, um, some trade issues, some um, investment uh, topics. So uh, a zero change expected in foreign policy, uh, but not a, 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 a great emphasis on that. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Gabriel. Uh, I mean, Dilma doesn't care about foreign policy, uh, and in the past few years, Itamaraty was kind of in the second, uh, not in a very privileged position. But this new minister, uh, uh, he is stronger than the, the previous, uh, according to, to, to the source. So, but the, the, the issue there is uh, the president who really doesn't give priority to this area. But yeah, there are some new things on the table, and uh, internally, uh, uh, the, the minister has uh, more power now and uh, support internally in Tamaraki. Uh, just okay, to sum up, uh, Andrea, uh, no, just uh, one small, one quick remark. Uh, I think uh, people really are interested in knowing that uh, the government, uh, the policy, the foreign policy interest and strategy, but you mustn't uh, forget that this is a government fighting for survival. So, like Fernando and Gabriel said, Juma never did give too much importance for foreign policy. It's not going to be right now where her government is about to die that she's going to give, right? Yeah, that's a, that's a good point, something that we have to keep in mind as well. Um, I have a number of questions here, but I cannot uh, let the time go by without asking one more thing to Gabriel from, uh, from my own questions, which is, Gabriel, um, we have a lot of uh, difficulty for the government to get anything approved in Congress, but... Uh, you want to, what everybody's asking is what should the government do and where should they place their best in terms of uh, what can be done in, in economic policy to try to spur growth again? Uh, okay. Uh, government will focus on measures that, of course, do not depend on Congress, uh, such as what I call the, the microeconomic agenda during my speech. So under this approach, under this microeconomic agenda, uh, government will put a lot of attention uh, to foster uh, uh, exports, for example. They are preparing uh, a launching of a new industrial policy uh, expected to happen in the next few weeks, and they are trying to put a great emphasis on trying to put out the paper using infrastructure plan. Uh, there are huge, uh, uh, a lot of uh, huge projects in this infrastructure plan, um, uh, and the government will try to put out the uh, put out the paper this plan, uh, mainly using the BNDS and other state-owned banks to push this investment. So this will be the focus: focus on export, a new industrial policy, and infrastructure. And what would you say the effects are the sectors that are showing more resilience to the crisis at this point? Uh, for, well, for example, from the service sectors, uh, IT, life sciences, which includes health, 
and the banking sector are those of the most prominent leaders. They are not suffering so much uh, with the bad effects uh, of the crisis. Uh, so when we talk uh, with foreign investors, for example, we realize that they are putting the Brazilian situation in a relative perspective with, uh, with uh, other emerging markets and perceiving this crisis as a temporary on a long-term positive track. Okay, now I have, uh, before we wrap up, I have one final question that I want to ask Fernando and Pedro, um, which is we have seen uh, in the, in the uh, just after last week a kind of rapprochement between Zuma Rousseff and Lula, right? They have been sort of uh, going their separate ways, trying to measure whether or not being together at this point would be beneficial for each of them. And we saw Lula going to, uh, Zuma going to visit Lula and uh, making statements on his, uh, in his defense. Do you think that this is just a quick reaction that will not uh, last longer, or has this changed things for their relationship? Pedro, why don't you start? Uh, all right. Yes, uh, I think that uh, it might be a, a durable relationship between them, because they both realize that politically they won't survive uh, if they stand alone. So, yes, there has been this reapproachment, and it's going to last. But uh, it's bad news for the economy because Lula's receptuary for taking Brazil out of the crisis is one that uh, 10 in 10 economists, and especially here in Brazil, condemn, which is more public money, more uh, incentives to few sectors of the industries, and so on. Uh, everybody says this kind of policy is totally out, has, uh, outrun, has been, it's over, it's not going to work anymore. But it's what is his receipt for taking Brazil out of the crisis. And if Juma takes it as well, it's going to be really bad for the economy. Yeah, well, actually today people are talking about here in Brazil uh, about Lula being a minister in order to uh, to escape investigation by Sergio Moro because when you are a minister you can only be judged by the Supreme Court. But this seems to be kind of strategies that are, are not clear. What, what I think is important for us to point out, as Pedro was saying, that this is a, a strategy in the short term because what the investigations and these investigations different for others are, are doing, they are relying on thousands and thousands of documents. Uh, small phases and operations where you gather documents and then you make months of analysis. Uh, so we can expect much more things to come up in the, the following months, uh, focusing on Lula. And Dilma right now is not uh, completely in the focus of, of the investigation. So uh, we have to think in daily basis here because we have news every day at 5 o'clock. So we, we can expect in the following months uh, more things to come up because there are thousands and thousands of documents, gigabytes of documents that were not analyzed yet, so this won't stop right now. Okay, now I'm going to have to thank you all for participating today and uh, please accept my apologies if you are still on the queue and you couldn't get to your questions. We're going to have other opportunities throughout the year to have more calls and I'm sure we're going to have your voices heard. Um, we're going to be an American uh, conference call here, so we're going to end up in time. Thank you again. Thank you, Pedro, Gabriel, and thank you so much for participating with us. And I'm sure we'll be talking you. to you all very soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Okay. Thank you, everyone.